If you read through the New Testament, you'll notice that one of the most common descriptors of a Christian is the phrase bondservant. But they're also referred to as people who are free in Christ, that in Christ we are free men. How do these two things work together? How can we both be a servant of Christ and also a free man in Christ? Well, the message of the gospel is that in Christ, he has redeemed us from the quote-unquote slave market of sin, that sin used to be our master, and now through the death and resurrection of Christ, sin is no longer our master. So when Christ ransoms us, when he achieves our freedom, what he is saying is, I am freeing you from the shackles and the bondage of sin and death so that you are now free to be my servant, free to obey me. And to be free to obey Christ is to be who God created you to be. Redemption means that God is bringing you and redeeming you out of sin so you can be the creatures God created you to be, worshiping him and loving your neighbor. Our freedom in Christ is not meant for self-indulgence. In fact, that's slavery. To be self-indulgent is to be enslaved to your appetites and your lusts. But freedom in Christ is a freedom to serve, to serve God and to serve others. We are saved in order that we might no longer live for self, but live for Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And part of love for Christ means love for those for whom Christ died. And that means that freedom in Christ is freedom from selfishness and freedom to love. This is Understanding 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapters eight and nine deal with the issue of knowledge and love, the relationship between stronger and weaker brothers, and giving up your rights and freedoms for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of reaching others for Christ. This is First Corinthians chapters eight and nine. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Am I not free? 
Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In 1 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul is addressing an issue where these young Christians who were likely former pagans, so just last week they were eating meat offered to idols, going to pagan temples, doing that whole thing. Now they're radically converted, and now they're part of the Christian church. And some older members of the Christian church, who maybe don't have that pagan background, are freely eating meat in the marketplace and in pagan temples because in their mind they're like, we have this knowledge, we know the truth, we know that these pagan gods aren't real gods at all, so eating the meat offered to them is no big deal. Now, Paul is saying, you're right that these pagan gods aren't real gods. And you're right that you are free to eat meat because meat comes from the Lord. These uh, pagan gods, they're just superstition. 
but you're wrong in the way that you are wielding this knowledge. You are a stronger brother, meaning you have an established understanding of the truth in which your conscience does not uh, work against you or your conscience is not uh, wounded whenever you eat this pagan meat. But he's saying you're, you're missing the point. You are using true knowledge in a false way to puff yourself up rather than to build up others. Now, these older Corinthians may be even saying to their weaker, younger brothers and saying, look, you're hung up about eating uh, meat offered to idols. Well, these idols aren't real gods. You need to get over it. Why don't you come with me to the temple and, and just try a piece of meat and you'll be fine, right? I'm trying to help you out here. And Paul says, you're missing the point. You're, you're causing them to stumble because if you eat meat in a pagan temple, even though you're okay with it, even though you're not going to be tempted to pagan idolatry, they will. They're going to see you do that and they're going to feel uneasy. So for their sake, just don't do it. Are you free to do it? You are. But is that really in the service of love? And actually, the more they boast about their knowledge, the more they reveal their ignorance. Paul says, if you think you know something, you really don't know anything at all. And what is the thing that they're ignorant about? It is the grace of God. Right? Paul says that those who love God have been known by God. Now, why doesn't Paul say those who love God know God? Why is it passive? Why does he say those who love God are the ones who are known by God? Well, he's showing that the entire gospel is about reception, that we know God because God first knew us. We love God because God first loved us. In other words, everything that we have is a gracious gift from God that we can't boast in. So you Corinthians who boast in this knowledge are, are missing the point. Why are you puffed up with knowledge when God is the one who gave you that knowledge? Why are you puffed up with your spiritual status when you are nothing apart from Christ? See, you actually reveal your ignorance by how much you boast in your knowledge. Now, he's not saying that knowledge is bad. Obviously, Paul is teaching them theology. But he's saying that knowledge wielded for self-gain rather than love and service of others is a perversion of what the gospel implies, that everything is by the grace of God. The more you have knowledge of God's grace, true knowledge, the more gracious you will be to your weaker brother. That's the principle. Now, one of the things that Paul says here is that not all people have this knowledge. In other words, he's not saying that the weaker brother is right. He's saying the weaker brother does not fully understand the implications of his freedom in Christ. But he's saying to the older brother, you need to, you need to carry him along slowly. Don't crush his conscience. Don't make him stumble when he's so early on in his faith. But God matures people through a process. Don't be a stumbling block. Use your freedom not to boast about it, not to prove how much mature you are, but rather to love your weaker brother. Now, Paul actually applies this to himself. Right? Paul says, I'm an apostle. I have rights. Some of the rights are, I have a right to be paid by churches for them to uh, fund my ministry. And not only my ministry, but also the ministry of any wife that I would take along. And he says the other apostles and uh, people associated with the Lord, that they're, they're the ones who make use of this right. So it's perfectly legitimate for Paul to say, hey, I need some churches to support my ministry. And he uses different examples. He says soldiers are paid for by other people, right? Uh, people who uh, plant a vineyard, they taste of their own fruit, right? People who are shepherds receive milk from their own sheep. People who farm eat part of their harvest. That's 
We understand this. And he even takes the law. He says the law of Moses. He says God's own law says that if you're an oxen, you get to eat while you're threshing out the wheat and the grain. In other words, he's saying oxen get to eat while they're working. They get to eat from the stuff that they are uh, working on. And doesn't God care more about humans than oxen? How much more does God want his ministers to receive their living from the gospel if he allows oxen to receive their living from what they work on? Now, the whole point here is Paul's building this argument. I have legitimate rights as an apostle. Those who sow spiritually have a right to reap materially, right? Now, Paul says this, even though I have those rights, I legitimately have them. Just like you Corinthians, you legitimately are allowed to eat meat. Although there's two exceptions that he gets to, I think in chapter 10, but we'll get to that. But for all intents and purposes, in general, you are free to eat that meat because you understand that pagan gods aren't real. So you're free to eat the meat. You have that right. Just like I have the right to take pay from churches and to uh, request that I be supported. But for the sake of love and the sake of the mission, I'm actually going to give up this right. Right? He says that I want to actually just be a tent maker, which is a very low status, low paying job, so that I answer to no one in a sense. He wants to say that I want anyone controlling me, but also I want to provide the gospel free of charge. This is a fascinating thing that he says. He doesn't think he has to do this, but in a sense, he, he feels that the needs of ministry require this. He is an apostle. God has commanded him to preach the gospel. It's by necessity, he says. So he's not doing this for a paycheck. He's saying, whether I get paid or not, whether I'm supported or not, I must preach the gospel. And to me, what I want to boast in is not in how much money I get. Back in those days, if you were an itinerant philosopher or teacher, you'd get paid lots of money. They'd want you to lecture everywhere and all that stuff. And, and Paul may be playing on that saying, you know, just like in chapter one and two, he says, I'm not one of those wise philosophers. He might be saying, I'm not even gonna live like a wise philosopher. I'm gonna be a normal blue collar tent making guy and I'm gonna preach the gospel free of charge. I'm not gonna ask for any notoriety. I'm just going to preach the gospel. And that is my reward. I'm gonna give up my freedoms because this allows the gospel to have a greater reach and doesn't place any burden on the churches. He's not saying you have to do this. He is saying though, that it is appropriate for him to give up his proper apostolic rights for the sake of a greater good. And he lists out those greater goods. He wants to be a Jew among the Jews to win Jews. He wants to be one under the law, even though he's not really under the law, right? Even though he's not tied uh, to an underneath or condemned by the law of God, he's going to act as one who is still living according to Jewish customs in some senses uh, for the sake of mission, right? He's going to be a person who uh, gives up his freedoms if it helps him to reach the lost. Now, notice Paul isn't saying, I'm going to sin so that I can be more relatable to sinners. Sometimes this verse is used to, you know, justify, you know, going out and partying, getting drunk with, you know, sinners so they can know that you're, you're cool and you can hang and you relate. It's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is saying for non-moral issues, he's trying not to lay a stumbling block. That sometimes you give up your freedom. If you want your uh, recently converted pagan friend to grow in Christ, you know what? Just don't eat the meat in front of them. Not a big deal. You're free to, but maybe love is demanding something more. You could even think about the problem of, 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 uh, of alcohol. Maybe, maybe you friends who are teetotalers, and if they saw you drinking, it would really bother them. Well, maybe for the sake of them, just don't drink. Just don't make it an issue. And hopefully over time, they'll realize that they are free in Christ, uh, that there is no prohibition against alcohol. But you don't want to 
go around boasting about how free you are in, in that you can drink or that, oh, look at the freedom in Christ I have. No, that is to boast in self rather than to say, here are the freedoms that I rightfully have. But when, what, what are some instances which I can give them up for the sake of mission, for the sake of bringing the gospel to others, or for the sake of what Paul says, that they might share in the blessing of the gospel, right? We want to think about our rights as things that we genuinely have, but we can also hold loosely when love demands us to go another way. And that's Paul's mindset. And what you see is Paul is viewing freedom as a tool in proclaiming the gospel and honoring Christ. Paul is viewing freedom as a tool, not as an end in and of itself. And he actually uses this example of an athlete. He says, think about how athletes work. Runners have a singular goal in mind. They have a prize that they're running for. And athletes willingly forego their freedoms to discipline themselves for a greater goal. So an athlete, you're free to eat whatever you want, but you willingly go against your freedoms. You willingly exercise discipline and say no to things you have a right to so that you can have your body trained and can keep your mind focused on the end goal. So Paul is saying, I'm like this. I am like the runner. I am like the athlete. I discipline my body. I beat it into submission. I, I forego whatever rights I need to so that I might stay singularly focused on preaching the gospel. I'm not aimless. I'm not boxing aimlessly or at the air or anything like that. But my goal is to be like Christ. And what did Christ do? Christ had the rights to the whole world. Christ had rights to all of the kingdom of God. And yet, what does he do? He humbles himself. He gives up his rights. He dies a humiliating death on the cross. So, so the cross, again, is a central motif that Paul is using to view his entire life. Paul wants his methods to match his message. If the gospel is about the free grace of God, that God gave up his rights to be born in the form of a slave, to be humble, to be persecuted by men, and to die this humiliating death on a cross, that he might be exalted. If that's the vision of Christ, then Paul says, I want to embody that. I want to give the free gospel free of charge. And you can see that Paul really walked the walk. He really believed that Christ died and was raised again. He really believed Christ's call to pick up your cross and follow him. And it's a challenge for today. You know, it's amazing. Paul doesn't make a big deal about himself. He, everything he does is he tries to make a big deal out of Christ. And he even thinks about this. He's like, maybe I'm just going to be a tent maker. I don't want this to be about, I'm this amazing apostle. I have genuine apostolic authority but I don't want my rights and even my apostleship and even my notoriety to get in the way of Christ, to obscure your vision of the cross and the resurrection and what that means for the Christian's life. This is a radical call. You do have rights. You do have freedom in Christ, but freedom is used to serve others. Christ died for your weaker brother. Be patient with them, love them, and understand that they are part of your family and that God loves them and is patient with them and you should be that way too. Your rights are for the service of others. 